Happy Nurses Week to all the nurses and future nurses listening. To celebrate, I'm having a 20% off sale on Study Sesh. This is my private podcast that features over 140 episodes to help you study on the go. Formats include pod quizzes, power hour deep dives, drills, and case studies. If you're tired of sitting at your desk or staring at a screen, but still want to review for nursing school, it's time to check out Study Sesh. Go to straightanursingstudent.com and click on Courses in that top menu bar. That's straightanursingstudent.com and click on Courses in the menu bar. See you there. Hello there, everyone. This is Nurse Mo, and welcome back to the Straight A Nursing Podcast. I am so excited that you're here. And today we will be diving into pediatrics with episode 128, where we will be talking about a common pediatric ailment of otitis media. Before we hop into that, I do want to take a moment for our listener shout out. And today's listener shout out goes to Sarah. And Sarah writes, I'm waiting to hear back from two schools I've applied to. I'm waiting on pens and needles. And that's an understatement. However, listening to this podcast has kept me distracted, more encouraged, more excited. And I'm sure it'll be very helpful once I start school. Fingers crossed. I'm probably going to listen to every episode once I start school. Sarah, I am so excited for you, and I hope that by the time this episode airs, you've heard back from the nursing programs and that you will be starting soon on your continued journey to become a nurse. So you guys, otitis media, super common childhood ailment that you'll see Definitely on your exams, definitely in clinical, and possibly in your simulation with pediatrics as well. So again, it's very common. Its term is otitis media. You will also hear it called a middle ear infection. And the good news is about otitis media is that most infections will clear up on their own in a few days. Most of the time, they don't require anything beyond at-home treatment. However, there is a downside. They can be significantly painful and they can be recurrent. Many children get repeated ear infections because of malfunctions of the eustachian tube. And when they're repeated and chronic, then the child is set up for really high risk for hearing impairments and even speech delays. So we'll go through otitis media and we'll be using the straight A nursing latte method. So if you don't know about the latte method yet, it's a quick, focused, organized way to look at disease conditions. So you'll get great practice with it here today. So the L in latte stands for how will this patient look? What does the child with otitis media look like? How do they present? When you observe the patient, what do you see? What do you notice about them? 
So a child with otitis media will be showing signs that they're having some pain and discomfort. This most often includes crying and rubbing or tugging at the affected ear. You guys, that component, that rubbing or tugging at the ear is a key exam question component. So put that into your brain, store it away. You're going to need it later when you're taking your exams. Infection, as you know, is very taxing to the system. So children with otitis media could also be displaying signs of lethargy. And as you will learn, as you take pediatrics, a lethargic child is a sick child. So be very, very worried about a child who comes in with lethargy. You may see drainage from the ear, and the child could even display signs that they're not hearing you well, especially, again, like I said, if the condition is chronic and recurring all the time. Children with those infections that are recurrent and chronic, you may notice speech delays in those children as well. So A is for how do you assess a child with otitis media? What are you as the nurse going to be assessing? Definitely want to get a temperature on these kiddos. Could be significantly elevated up to 40 degrees Celsius. In Fahrenheit, that is 104 degrees. You could also feel the lymph nodes of the neck and assess to see if they are enlarged, which they definitely could be in an infection. Assess the child's hearing. Are they hearing you okay? Talk to the parents. Ask if they've noticed if the child seems to be having trouble hearing or not um, paying as close attention to sounds in their environment. You can assess the child's ability to speak if you're concerned about speech delays. And then using an otoscope, you can visualize that tympanic membrane. And how you do this is age dependent. So if the child is younger than three years old, you pull the pinna down and back. If the child is older than three years old, you pull the pinna up and back. Again, that will be a test question, you guys. And when you are observing that tympanic membrane, it's going to be yellow or red with decreased movement. Okay. And then the first T in latte is for what tests are going to be conducted for a child with otitis media or suspected otitis media. So the MD may order a white blood cell count, though the infection is typically diagnosed based off visualization of that tympanic membrane and the presentation of the symptoms that the child shows. But if they're concerned about severe infection, they may get a white blood cell count. An ENT, ear, nose, and throat specialist, could examine the child for that eustachian tube malfunction, especially if that Ear infection is chronic or recurring all the time. Tympanometry, I don't even know if I said that right, you guys. Tympanometry, which measures movement of the eardrum, is another test that could be done. I'm going to butcher this one too. Sonotubometry, which looks at the ability of the eustachian tube to actually open. And another one called tubomanometry, which measures pressures 
and the ability of the eustachian tube to open. These are all diagnostic tests that could show um, eustachian tube malfunction, though there does the consensus as I was doing my research for this show that we do need a little bit more study and research in this area. The main thing, though, is visualizing that membrane. And then if they do want to do actual specialized tests, possible that an ENT physician would do those. And the point of those tests would be to assess for that eustachian tube malfunctioning. So what treatments will be provided to a child with otitis media? So therapies for acute otitis media, basically they're aimed at relieving the pain and treating that fever. And this typically revolves around acetaminophen and ibuprofen. It's very important that you know how old the child is because sometimes some therapies are not going to be appropriate. So if the child is younger than six months of age, the Centers for Disease Control and Prevention recommends acetaminophen only, no ibuprofen for those kiddos younger than six months of age. Older children can be given either acetaminophen or ibuprofen according to the Centers for Disease Control and Prevention. And then no child should be given aspirin because of the risk for RISE syndrome. So that's also a very common test question. The use of aspirin in children puts them at high risk for RISE syndrome. So that's why we don't use it. Eardrops can also be used to treat the pain locally um, that are placed in the ear. Antibiotics may be needed if the condition doesn't clear up on its own after about three days. Three days is pretty much the standard that if the infection isn't clearing up, then they start antibiotics. Now, if the child has a eustachian tube malfunction that leads to those chronic and recurrent infections, then they're going to need surgical intervention. And this is called a meringotomy and placement of TEM. Tympanomasty tubes. I know you guys love listening to me stumble over all these long words. Tympanomasty tubes. And these tubes equalize pressure in the eustachian tubes. So this procedure, typically an outpatient procedure, it's important to know, and this will probably be a test question, the tubes will come out on their own after about 6 to 12 months. So when they come out, it's not like the parent has to go back and get them replaced. Typically, they don't need to be replaced at that time. The child's kind of outgrown that eustachian tube malfunction at that point. You should let the MD know that the tubes fell out just so that they're aware, but it's not necessarily that they have to go back and get the procedure redone at that time. While the tubes are in place, the child should not get any water in his ears, and that means probably no swimming and being very careful with bathing. So I did see somewhere where it suggested putting like some petroleum jelly on a cotton ball and putting that in the ear to keep any fluid out. So that could be a method to use while the child is bathing, but probably going to recommend against swimming at this time. And then the E for this is how do you educate? How do you educate the parents of a child with otitis media? So there's a lot of education that goes into this. So again, the first thing, if they do get those 
tubes placed in their ears, make sure they understand that they're going to fall out in about six to 12 months. They're going to come out on their own. They probably don't need to be replaced, but let the doctor know. Again, keeping water out of the tubes. And again, that petroleum jelly and the cotton ball is one way to help keep water out of the ears while the child is bathing. And we just don't want water getting in there and causing an infection because with those tubes in place, we've got like a really good straight line right to that um, ear where the child could get a severe infection. When feeding the child, especially that young child, infants, you want to keep them in a more upright position so that the head is higher than the stomach. If the baby is held horizontally, then that formula can flow back into that child's eustachian tubes because of the way they are positioned in young children, and that can lead to infection. So some things that can lead to acute otitis media are secondhand smoke, and being around individuals who have an active bacterial or viral infection. So if parents smoke, they really should look at not smoking or at the very least not smoking in the house around their child. You can provide smoking cessation education and resources as needed. And then, of course, just keeping the child away from individuals who are actively sick with a bacterial or viral infection. If the patient does have consistent and persistent otitis media, then make sure the parent knows that the child could have speech delay. So it's definitely not something that they should be ignoring. And then you want to make sure that the parents know when they need to consult their physician. So the Centers for Disease Control and Prevention recommends seeking medical care when the child has a fever above 39 degrees, which is about 102.2 degrees Fahrenheit. If the child has drainage from the ear or symptoms that don't improve or get worse over that two to three day period, or, and this is very important, if any hearing loss is evident or suspected. You also need to teach the parents that mild infections will often clear up on their own in a few days. So a lot of times, as soon as the child gets that ear infection, the parent goes in, demands antibiotics for the child, but most of the time they clear up on their own and recurrent use of unnecessary antibiotics can lead to antibiotic resistance. So definitely should only be used when absolutely necessary. Breastfed children are less likely to get ear infections due to the presence of antibodies in the breast milk. So if possible, if you can teach the mother about the benefits of breastfeeding and troubleshoot any breastfeeding difficulties she may be having, that would be beneficial for the child. The CDC recommends exclusive breastfeeding until the baby is six months of age, if it's at all possible, with continued breastfeeding along with, of course, the child having an expanded diet up until uh, 12 months of age. Definitely want to teach the parents to keep the kids' ears dry, especially after swimming, and that is a great way to prevent acute otitis media. If they have an infection, you don't want anything else getting in there, so keep the ears dry during current infection and, again, if those tubes are in place. Children should definitely stay current on other recommended vaccines. And a good tip is to let the parents know that when the child's lying down, you know, going down for bed at night, those ears could hurt more at that time. A warm compress on the outside of the ear can help relieve pain. Definitely don't put any heated compresses on infants. 
their skin is especially sensitive. So there is a lot, as you can see, um, of information to share with parents about acute otitis media and quite a bit of information for you to know so that you can do well on your exam. So if we wanted to just narrow it down to the key, key info, then that would be signs of infection being fever and the child tugging or rubbing at their ear. I guarantee you that's going to be a test question, you guys. Antibiotics typically only given after three days and otherwise Medication modalities include acetaminophen and ibuprofen, maybe some eardrops. Also, another big need to know is that chronic infections are often due to eustachian tube malfunction and can lead to hearing loss and speech delays. That's very key. And that chronic infections are treated surgically with that meringotomy and placement of those tubes in the ears. So now let's do a few pod quiz questions so that you can double check your understanding of otitis media. So I'm going to ask a question, pause for a moment, and give you time to answer as a way to do a little bit of audio flashcards, as I like to say. So what would be the two most common signs that the child has otitis media? So they're going to have that fever and then be rubbing or tugging at their ear, maybe also crying as well, depending on the age of the child. When you are assessing the child with otitis media, what will be going on with their temperature? What is a common elevated temperature likely to be? And it's pretty high. Yeah, it could be up to about 40 degrees Celsius, around 104, which is really uncomfortable for the little one. So when you're treating fever, what are the two medications that we use for that? We use acetaminophen and ibuprofen. If the child is younger than six, what recommendation does the CDC have for treating the pain and fever? If they're younger than six months of age, I think I said six and I didn't specify months. Sorry about that. If the child is younger than six months of age, what does the CDC recommend? So they would recommend acetaminophen only for that really young child. If they're a little bit older, then what two medications would they get for their fever and their pain? Yeah, they could get either acetaminophen or ibuprofen. I've heard some parents like to alternate. So there you have that. And then let's talk a little bit about what tool are we using to visualize the tympanic membrane? That is an otoscope. Very good. And to use that in a child younger than three years, how are we going to position the ear? We're going to pull the pinna down and back. And then what if the child is older than three years? How will we position the ear for that? So older than three years of age, pull the pinna up and back. So think younger, you're pulling down and back. So down, the numbers are smaller if they go down. And then up and, up and back if they're older. I don't know if that helps you. It kind of helps me. That's how I remember it. 
Okay, what is the surgical procedure that is done for a child with that eustachian tube malfunction? Awesome. That's a myringotomy, and then they place those tubes, and I will butcher, I'm going to try to say it again for you guys, tympanostomy tubes. And what do the tympanostomy tubes do? Very good. They equalize pressure in the eustachian tubes. Very good. And then what happens after about 6 to 12 months with those tubes? Yep, they're just going to come out on their own, and that is expected. Very, very good. And then what is the proper way to feed a child to help prevent otitis media? Definitely want to have the child more upright so that the head is higher than the stomach. And what does that do? That prevents um, whatever you're feeding the child, formula, what have you, from flowing back into the eustachian tubes and leading to infection. Of course, it could be, um, you know, anything that you're giving the child through a bottle. Typically, if the child's breastfeeding, they may already be in that more upright position, but just to be careful of that. What are some things that can lead to acute otitis media at home that can be avoided? Secondhand smoke and being around people who have an active bac bacterial or viral infection. Very, very good. And the CDC has some recommendations on when parents should see the physician about this. So one of those is the fever. What would be the fever trigger according to the Centers for Disease Control? That was a fever above 39 degrees, above that 102 point. Two. And then the others were drainage from the ear and symptoms that don't improve after how many days? Yeah, if the symptoms aren't better after two or three days, the CDC recommends the parents uh, bring the child in, or if the symptoms are getting worse during that time frame. And then what was the other big one for when you want to see a physician if your child has an ear infection? If you notice any hearing loss, absolutely very, very good. And then what pain relieving medication do you not want to give to children because it can cause another awful condition? I realize that was a little vague. You don't want to give them aspirin because it can cause rise syndrome. Very, very good. And let's see if there's anything else. I think those are the main points, you guys. Um, the tugging at the ear, which direction to pull the pinna in different aged child, the acetaminophen, the ibuprofen, the no aspirin, the significant fever, the hearing impairment, and risk for speech delays. Those are kind of the core things to know about otitis media. And then, of course, the treatment, that surgical treatment, the meringot, uh myringotomy and the placement of the eustachian 
YouTube. So I hope that helps you guys. And I hope you like doing pod quizzes. I hear from a lot of you that you really, really like it. So I wanted to let you know that I'm working on a really cool project for you guys that will heavily feature pod quizzes. I don't have all the details about it hammered out just yet, but I will soon. So if you're interested in that and getting updates about that, go to straightanursingstudent.com forward slash announcements, and I'll have more information for you there. Thank you so much, guys. I will see you back here next week where we dive into the importance and the value of developing solid and consistent daily routines. So I'll see you back here next week. Bye for now. This podcast is brought to you by Straight A Nursing. As a longtime foreign correspondent, I've worked in lots of places, but nowhere as important to the world as China. I'm Jane Perlez, former Beijing bureau chief for The New York Times. Join me on my new podcast, Face Off, U.S. versus China, where I'll take you behind the scenes in the tumultuous U.S.-China relationship. Find Face Off wherever you get your podcasts.